Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Stuttering Springboard. In this episode, our our guest is Danra Kaczynski, who is, 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 is starting a movement to normalize stuttering. Her passion to help people who proudly openly stutter and stutter better is infectious. Danra is a, a clinical associate professor at the University of Vermont, the founder of Vermont Stuttering Therapy, as well as the normalizing stuttering store. In this incredibly emotional and educational podcast, Danra shares the reasons behind her passion, what's new and working in the stuttering therapy, and her approach to get the message out through really cool swag. Visit her site and buy and buy some swag at vtstu. T T E R I N G T H E R A P Y dot com. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Thanks. Welcome to the Stuttering Springboard. My name is Brian Nolan. Uh, the Stuttering Springboard podcast. Uh, the focus is to uh, help people, young people, springboard to the next level in life, young people who stutter, who often um, fear what the next level is. And uh, so I'd like to bring on guests who um, help make that happen. And today I'm, I'm um, excited to have uh, Danra Kaczynski from Vermont Stuttering Therapy. Danra and I had a conversation last week that I wish we had recorded. Uh, it, it was emotional at times, and and just a warning: this one may get that way. It, it's an emotional subject. Uh, she's enjoyed working with people who stutter since 2006, after graduating from the University of Vermont Speech Language Pathology Master's Program. She spent four years at the SL, as an SLP at the Montreal Fluency Center in Quebec, and returned home to Vermont in 2010. She's currently a faculty member at UVM. Uh, to help guide graduate students as they learn professional skills to become SLPs, and this is where I'm gonna I'm gonna focus deeply in some of this interview. Um, since 2014, she's been the co-leader of the Burlington Vermont National Stuttering Association chapter. Um, really cool. She also started an online store called Normalizing Stuttering, where she sells all kinds of merchandising that promotes awareness and acceptance of stuttering and um, disclosure. I was on last week and it is a great store. Uh, I bought several hats and I'm going to buy a whole bunch of stuff for my workshop on October 5th. Danra, welcome to the Stuttering Springboard. Oh, thank you so much, Brian. I'm really grateful to be here. You're doing amazing work. Well, um, it's it's work for my on myself, actually, as I said mm -hmm. in the past. Uh, there's so much for us to uh, discuss here about um, you as a professor, uh, your work in normalizing stuttering and just general stuttering techniques mm -hmm. that have been evolving in stuttering therapy. But can you first share with us how you decided to become an SLP and and then and then specifically how stuttering therapy became a focus because that often is not a focus as SLPs leave school. Yeah, yeah. So um, I was a bit slow to get started with things. I went to school thinking I was going to be Jane Goodall. I wanted to sit in trees with monkeys, but um, they wouldn't <laughs> even 
<laughs> give me a job scooping monkey poop at a zoo. So I had to rethink things a little bit. Um, and <laughs> I worked uh, as a one-on-one aide with a little kiddo in an elementary school and he was working with the speech language pathologist and she was encouraging me to do it. And I was like, well, that sounds great, but I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I really didn't know. Um, and so I did some more research and got into the program. So I had to start fresh. I didn't know, I hadn't taken any classes at all. And I thought I was gonna work in hospitals with little babies who are having trouble feeding. And um, I remembered quickly that I throw up anytime I go into a hospital or <laughs> if I pass out, if I see blood. So maybe that doesn't work either. But really what shifted me over was um, Dr. Barry Guitar is at the University of Vermont. He's now retired. But I got the uh, magical luck to have taken his class. Um, mm. And he's the kind of transformative person that if you're just even around him, you just want to like learn more about stuttering. And he is a an incredibly open and comfortable person, you know, puts his stutter right out there. Um, and he helps all the people that would come to the clinic feel the same way. I say that he's like um, a masterclass in empathy. You know, like you just sit in a room with him and people feel comfortable talking about things that they otherwise wouldn't. And I tried to really listen to how he approached things and kind of try to embody him. Nobody can be Barry, but <laughs> I, I try. It, yeah. it sounds like I uh, we need to get Barry on the stuttering springboard. Oh, please. He's yeah. he, he's the greatest. He was the uh, celebrant at our wedding last year, too. So it was a very stutter focused wedding, but um, wow. the, the nicest guy on the planet. Yeah. Nice. Okay, Barry, if you're listening, you're going to get, get an invite <laughs> sometime soon. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, um, but when I talked to you the other day, um, your passion, oh, so strong. Where where does your passion uh, for helping people who stutter come from? Because, I mean, there are SLPs who help people, and then there are empathetic passionate SLPs who just get it and you just get it where where did that like that string of passion come from well um in the time since I've been working with Barry and in Montreal as well I got to see a lot of great models and I've heard um because I'm not a person who stutters myself I try and be very intentional about my listening and not taking on the expert role, you know, putting a lot to the person that I'm speaking with and kind of taking in what they're trying to share with me and not make assumptions about that. So I've heard a lot of stories that are upsetting. You know, this is not fun sometimes how society treats people who stutter. You know, I had one client who uh, he got kicked out of a pharmacy because he was stuttering and they thought he was having a seizure. And it's like, well, number one, call it ambulance, right? <laughs> like you need to right. help this person. And number two, can you have like some more kindness and give some room to like figure out what's going on there? Um, and then that same client was, you know, hung up on twice when we're in therapy. And uh, these are very reputable companies that are known for their customer service. I'm like, oh, it's just frustrating to hear these things. Um, and uh, my niece also stutters. So um, mm. I, I don't know how the universe did that. I became a stuttering therapist and then my niece was born and she stuttered. So I was glad to be able to <laughs> be well, there. All things sort of pointed this way from the Jane Goodall not working to <laughs> you can't handle baby vomit to yeah. your niece to Barry guitar. It was like this, it was bound to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and um, on a more... Serious note, though, uh, a big driving and I want to warn, you know, the listener that I am going to say something that is quite sensitive right now. But, you know, I basically fall in love with my clients. I, I can't help it. Brian, I met you twice and I basically love you. <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm just I, I feel connected right away. And um, one of the boys that I worked with for seven years, um, he died by suicide at age 12. And I don't know how much of his stuttering impacted him for that, um, but he had other things going on. And I also lost a classmate of mine who stuttered, um, a person in the master's program who went on to his PhD and he died by suicide. Um, so two very um, loving and lovable people you know, uh, so what happened after that is like, I think all the, the 
molecules in my soul like reorganize themselves and I just feel like um this incredible protective urge um and I'm even more mindful now of how people are doing and try and give that open and safe space but I I was really driven to do to do more in their name um so I will say their names Ryan and Chris uh so I and along with all of the other experiences that people are sharing I'm like we society needs to do better you know I have a privilege of a position where I can enact some change and I didn't know what that was going to be on a grander scale you know like one-on-one I do that all the time but it was like I feel like this needs to be bigger you know so many people are affected um what can I do you know I would like for your sons to grow up in a different society um and so that came up when um a boy I was working with, it was International Stuttering Awareness Day in October. And I was telling him, like, what would you like to do to, you know, show people that you stutter and that to kind of celebrate this day? And he wanted a t-shirt. And um, I said, well, all right, let's 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 look it up right now. What do you want it to say? And he said, I want it to be stuttering is my superpower and I want to wear it to school on Monday and have people ask me about it. I'm like, this is terrific. <laughs> Yeah, so I went online right away, and there really weren't that many things out there. So I kind of made him a promise: I will, I will make something for you. And then I have a bit of an obsessive personality, <laughs> and I mentioned to my husband, like maybe you know more people would want this, and then if more people see and are willing to wear shirts, and then other people ask them about it, it won't be so hard to talk about. And I like maybe next summer I'll start something like that. And he's like, you've already done it. Right. I was like, yeah. <laughs> and so I, I couldn't stop myself. I just, and now we have like 700 designs and um, it's kind of taken on a life of its own, but that's how it started really is the boy that I worked with. Um, and uh, it went from there. I couldn't stop. <laughs> the, the, the thing that I think about like, um, um spending all my life hiding the fact that I stutter. And mm-hmm. now I just, so I just ordered these, these beautiful trucker hats from you called, called normalizing stuttering mm-hmm. and normalized stuttering. And uh, so going from hiding uh, whatever I can do to not let people know that I stutter to now getting on top of a mountain in Vermont and telling people that I stutter and it's okay. Mm-hmm. How, have you, how have you been able to convince young people who stutter to wear i mean obviously that story of the boy and the superpower uh that was that was right there but in general what what has been the receptivity towards you mean i'm gonna broadcast this i know right it's the exact opposite of what most people who stutter are ready to do uh this is definitely i I went into it knowing that it's probably going to be a slow burn you know like this is uh i had a client describe it as you're basically asking me to like walk naked through a minefield you know you just feel so exposed and so vulnerable and like okay so yeah not everybody is there (laughs) Uh, because you have to like shed a lot of those protective layers right to feel confident um but uh there are people who are already ready. You know, there's some really awesome voices out there who are already just openly stuttering. And um, I think that they're paving the way and you're paving the way. And uh, I feel like we should start really putting our energy into celebrating the people who are stuttering openly and talking about it. Because right now, if you look at the posters of like famous people who stutter, they're mostly, yes, people who used to stutter or who are covert stutterers and are not overtly stuttering and putting it mm-hmm. out there. And there is a lot of people now who are just like, I accept my identity as a person who stutters. I'm going to do it and say what I want when I want. And I feel like that is the start of a revolution, really. Oh, man. I'm, uh, yeah. I'm on board. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think I have a similar personality to yours about just getting getting behind something and seeing it and being obsessed with making it work. It, mm-hmm. it, it, so it, to me, it, it, um, it starts to shed shame because uh, vulnerability um, is what I, I've learned as an older man is uh, critical to shed shame and mm-hmm. um, 
hiding it is and, and not talking about it has made it this uh, this dirty little secret everybody knows about. But when you can be vulnerable about it, you know, when I started being vulnerable about it and talking about it, my whole life changed. Like how I thought about myself, uh, confidence that I had. I wasn't hiding anything. I was just out there. It was mm-hmm. like everything changed. It's crazy. That's it's- such a powerful message. And you're giving a gift to your sons by sharing that message with them. So they'll grow up knowing that that's, you know, they have different options than, you know, not long ago, the messaging was very different. Yeah. Yeah. I could go back. I, you know, it's not about regrets, but I, I could go back. I would have started, uh, when I was 30, um, instead of starting in my fifties. So to anybody listening, um, please, please hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, so your, your help creating, uh, more, uh, SLPs who get it. And this, I say, get it because not many SLPs in my experience, and this, this may not be fair, but, um, it's my podcast, so I can say it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> A lot of SLPs don't get it. They don't get stuttering therapy. They don't get um, what really matters. And they're trying to change how we speak instead of how we think. Mm-hmm. Um, my my question to you is, can you, can you tell us how you've seen stuttering therapy change since you entered the field in 06? Yeah, so there are a lot of things that are the same. You know, like we've always been family-centered and um, having them start by learning about their own stuttering and stuttering in general. Like a lot of people don't know that, you know, there's more boys than girls who stutter and exactly how many people who do. And I talk about where they feel tight when they talk and the different kinds of stutters they might have. Um, We'll always give them ownership over their therapy. You know, I try and take the step back as much as possible and just be a guide. Um, we always talk about like a hierarchy talking, we're not going to throw them into the hardest situation, you know, right off the bat, but encourage them to make goals like easy, medium and hard every week, you know, so do a harder thing in an easier situation and just show up to a harder one. Um, so we've always been, you know, validating in that, but the, uh, the tools quote unquote themselves are what have been shifting. So, there used to be, and you know, often SLPs now still use a lot of what are called fluency shaping strategies. So those would be things like an easy onset or doing something on purpose to kind of ease into a sound so that you don't stutter, kind of anticipating mm-hmm. it or talking, you know, in prolonged speech. Mm-hmm. which, you know, quite frankly, is weird. And people don't like how they sound when they do that. And it takes constant, you know, monitoring to do that. Mm-hmm. So um, the shift has been more to, um, and we have an avoidance reduction therapy group at uh, in Vermont, which I'm very grateful we're getting help from the people who, you know, are the center point of that. Um, at Vivian Siskin in Maryland and their team are excellent. And so, they're talking more about, you know, um, reducing the struggle and um, how to stutter easily. So like easy, at one point we were listening to a session and I was like, oh, you're encouraging them to do something that sounds a lot like easy onsets to us. You know, this is very similar. Um, whereas in fluency shaping, the easy onsets are so you don't stutter at all in like something like avoidance reduction therapy, it would be to get voicing going so that you can say the word that you want um, and stutter easily. So it's like a flip in intent, I guess, is the big change. Mm. Fluency is definitely not the goal of that. It's um, struggle-free speech, authentic speech, joyful communication. Um, So, and acceptance, I would Mm. say, um, big parts of of that piece, yeah. So this this um, topic of avoidance reduction therapy, I, I first read about, I first learned about about a year ago in Chris Anderson's book, Every mm-hmm. Waking Moment, and uh, it was petrifying to me because um, it to me it meant that 
you know, you, um, you had to not avoid, you had to find as many hard situations as you can mm-hmm. and talk. Um, so uh, how does avoidance reduction therapy address how someone thinks? Yeah. And so, um, I encourage people to go first of all, to openstutter.com, which is Vivian Siskin's YouTube channel so that you can actually hear people who have gone through, um, the program. Um, but basically the way I see it is that, um, the endpoint of therapy is the same as what almost anybody would come in to say, like, hi, I'm nice to meet you. You know, where would you like to be? A lot of people would say, I don't want to stutter anymore. And basically what they're also saying is, I just don't want speech to get in my way and I want it to not be so much effort. You know, so the avoidance reduction therapy would kind of aims to take away that struggle and um, allow people to kind of be their real identity, you know, not feel like there's any masking or hiding or mental gymnastics that need to be danced around. You could just be. So a lot of other therapies, there's a, a like a layering on, like use your tools or do these extra things. And the avoidance reduction therapy takes away. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of the sentiment of just let it happen and let it be. Let's just take away the sense of control. Just let it go, um, which is an uncomfortable feeling, right? You can't just do that right away. So most of these therapies are done in groups, which the power of the group. Support. So like helping each other push them, push them forward. Oh, yeah. Um, and yeah, the buy-in is tricky, right? Because we are saying yeah. this is hard. Right. This is this is number one, not what you want to do. You've built up all these other defenses and we're asking you to like peeling an onion, take them away one by one, all the things that you are doing to hide it. Um, so I think they say very frankly, you know, like this is going to suck. <laughs> this is not <laughs> fun at all. Um, but the other side is that you'll be your true authentic self and be happier. You know, so it's your choice if you want to take these steps and it's a longer kind of path. But the yes, having other people in the group who are already farther along is so important. You know, like you see other people stepping out of their comfort zone. You're like, OK, I can try that, too. Um, yeah. And then the end goal of that is you get to this once you strip everything away like an onion. What's at the center of that onion? It's what what's left of your stuttering and because there's so many things built up, like the avoidance behaviors are, you know, looking away when you talk or restating your, restarting the sentence or saying, ah, or, um, you know, as all of those are pulled away, we don't even know what the real stuttering looks like. You know, you're pure, clean, wild, like stuttering gone wild, you know, <laughs> like what, what even is it? We don't know until it's all gone. And then once you kind of strip it down, you move towards the direction of just open stuttering and you know, getting voicing on it. So the blocks are no longer kind of um, getting in your way. And do, do, do you promote um, disclosure as part of open stuttering to make the listener um, at ease? So like, they don't think you're having a seizure like that person. Oh, did. definitely. Yeah. 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 That's that same person uh, who was hung up on twice. We, the next thing we worked on was, okay, as soon as you get on the phone, let them know that it's sometimes hard for you to talk and, you know, please just be patient. And that made all the difference. You know, he didn't get hung up on mm-hmm. after that. Um, mm-hmm. It really, uh, I know that that's a hard topic for a lot of people who stutter because they're worried a little bit about the perception of the, as the listener mm-hmm. too. And, um, or like, oh, obviously I stutter. I don't have to say it. But it's, you know, as a person who doesn't stutter myself, you know, we'd be like listening with good intentions and the urge is to want to help you, you know, but or like, are they okay? Or if you don't know, like a a person who doesn't know what stuttering is. And so by you just being confident and putting it right out there, it it makes all the difference in the world. Like, oh, okay, no big deal. I'll just listen to you. (laughs) You know, thank you for telling me. Yeah, as opposed Um, to as opposed to this mystery, trying to figure out what this person is trying to do and, and is he or she okay? Yeah, 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 yeah. What's an example uh, of of an exercise that you would do with a group of people on avoidance reduction therapy? 
Yeah. So early on when they're just learning about their own avoidances, they would kind of rank uh, which ones happen the most for them. And so, you know, for most people, it's like looking away when you talk. So, for example, if we were in a group, everybody would make their own goal and we would just have a conversation about whatever people did on the weekend. And their goal might be to um, identify every single time they notice themselves looking away. Um, And so they'll literally put a finger up every time that happens. And then sometimes we have them watch each other, you know, like, oh, you know that this person's also going to watch you, this other person who stutters and, and we cheer them on that way. There's extra like accountability and um, there's no judgment with that noticing. It's just, it happened. And so, and just by noticing it, it tends to go down. Mm. Um, is that, is that the same with, with other sort of secondary behaviors like the, the rolling of the eyes uh, things mm. like that, when sometimes a stutterer may not even realize that they're doing it, but it's it's some kind of a uh, a way the brain works to help you try and get the word out, rolling the eyes, right? Or the eyes are up, up in the air. And, yeah. And- I was curious what your yours might be because everybody's is so different. It sounds like that might be. Well, in, in my family, have- in my family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've seen that that before. And, you know, how to address the secondary um, behaviors um, as a side note to to the actual speech, because, I mean, the issue that you first have is fluency, but then you have these other things happening and and uh, what like what are the methods to deal with secondary behaviors? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, once we do that little more structured practice when we're all together in like a safe space where everybody feels okay doing it, then they set their own goals to do more practice when they're outside of the clinic. So they'll decide who am I comfortable doing this with? And you don't don't even have to say anything or do anything different. You're just noticing at first. Um, So it kind of starts there. Um, You know, I I, I talked to Joe Donahue about tools and he sort of changed the whole definition of tools for me. Tools mm-hmm. is these are all tools. Reduction, reduction therapy, avoidance um, is actually a tool. So eye contact is actually a tool. I mm-hmm. found out that I am I am a, um, just a better communicator when I'm looking at someone in the eye. Mm-hmm. I'm communicating better. So mm-hmm. It's when I look away that I'm in my own mind somehow and not going so well. So that that tool of just very simple eye contact with which every listener wants anyway right with yeah. one eye con- eye contact is means i'm present with you i'm totally present mm-hmm. i'm listening to you um so that's been that's been a good tool so to speak for me personally because i'm 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 empathetic so i connect so when i connect with someone i'm more likely to communicate better you know? Yeah. You're so right. I mean, that's the joy of communication, right? Feeling like there's that reciprocity between the two of you and it's um, uh, authentic and you're being your genuine selves. And, you know, because a lot of people who stutter share with me that they're actually not listening at all to the other person. Right. They're, they're so con- caught in what they're going to yeah. say next and how they're not going to be able to say it. Yeah. So what a joy to shift over to being like all right i'm i'm gonna just truly um be in the moment and listen to the person i'm talking to you know uh, it it's a big difference <laughs> i'm going to focus on what i want to say instead of how i want to say it that, yeah. that's the second so the eye contact but then focusing on my content like i've got something important to say so i'm going to focus on that mm-hmm. now now do, do you ever take avoidance reduction therapy to the field and what i mean by that is like Let's practice real life stuff. Let's go order at Starbucks a caramel frappuccino. Uh, Definitely. How does that go? Well, um, the one um, gentleman that I was talking about before, he loves coffee. So all of our goals are related to going to coffee shops. And we'll, he'll tell us what he'd like to do when he orders. Sometimes he'll self-disclose and then make his order or he'll try and just stutter openly, you know? So 
I feel like therapy is absolutely useless if you're not doing all the functional, meaningful things with the client. Yeah. So all of their goals are like, I have this meeting on Thursday and I'm going to talk to this person who I normally avoid, but I'm going to do it. And I'm just going to pay attention to my eye contact. You know, yes, it's very intentional. Like this change won't happen unless they start to transfer it. Yeah. Let's integrate um, CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy in with this avoidance reduction therapy because mm-hmm. of all the things going through the mind of a person who stutters as they're about to have a conversation, a hard conversation, give a presentation, order something. I mean, the anxiety that is there and it the world's going to end. The world is about to end for a person mm-hmm. who stutters going up there. Like everything is just magnified. So how, how does CBT play a role in... Um, normalizing uh someone well stuttering better and feeling good about open stuttering mm-hmm. yeah so i've got a couple of different examples the first one is what and in, in the avoidance reduction therapy they call it cognitive messaging so say you're going to do this hard thing you make your goal for the eye contact but you're also going to set a goal for what are you going to say yourself as you walk up to that person basically or what's the mindset that you're going to have and so it'd be like I'm going to take my time to stutter well, or let them think what they want about my stuttering, or I'm going to sit in the shame and try and tolerate it. Mm, or, mindfulness, right yeah, there. Yeah, I can't control other people. <laughs> Those kinds of messages. Um, so that would be how they do it in arts. Um, but if I was just working with a client who's not necessarily in arts, but there's a, we do what's called a CBT cycle. So there would be four parts, like the thoughts, the feelings, the body reactions, and then the actions that you might have. So I'll say, what what's a really tough speaking situation for you? Oh, giving a presentation at work. Okay, you're giving a presentation at work. What are your thoughts? And I try and get at least three out of there, but let's say they say- I'm gonna um, get fired. I'm gonna oh, get- that's a, that's a great one. And how terrifying, right? <laughs> yeah. You know? Or they'll think I'm stupid if I stutter has been one that people have said. Those have a lot of weight behind them. So of course it makes sense that if you think I'm going to get fired or they're going to think I'm stupid, you're going to be nervous or you might sweat more. You might look down more. You know, you might physically um, change the way that you are. So then after we have them kind of identify that and say, this is normal, it's meant to normalize. They say, all right, let's change the thought and flip it into another direction. So instead of I'm gonna be fired or they think I'm stupid, they might say, I got this, I know exactly what I'm talking about and I deserve to be heard, you know, or it, it, whatever they have is like a positive message. And then we go through the cycle again and see how does that change, you know, how you um, feel and what your body does. And, oh, I might look more at my audience and still be nervous, but not as nervous. And, you know, all of those pieces would change. Um, And then normally I have that become a mantra for somebody. So I've actually put this on a button for somebody, you know, like I deserve to be heard. And so we just kind of relentlessly stick with their mantra, like, um, I got this. I deserve to be heard. Stuttering rocks. Uh, I was born that way and that's okay. Whatever the person comes up with, you know, whenever we do practice in the clinic or anywhere else, we have them say that before they do it. And um, it makes a big difference on oh, the mindset kind of reframing. Well, I mean, you're, you're, uh, I'm an example. Everything you just said, um, uh, listeners, it, it could not be more more true. I, I, I always coach, so I, I coach business leaders too. And I, and so, so the, everybody has some form of, everybody's got issues, right? Whatever yeah. their issue is, anxiety, whatever it is, I'm, I'm not a good leader. Um, I always say, don't listen to yourself, talk to yourself, mm-hmm. talk to yourself about what the, the, the person you want to be, the person you are. So I, I have a set of affirmations. I, I would say nothing has helped me more in my in my therapy journey, uh, then this um, what I'll call neuroplasticity, mm-hmm. uh, which is the ability to change the, the neural pathways in your brain 
that would normally go down a pathway of anxiety and I'm going to get fired and they would think I'm stupid to now um, building my strength, who, who I am. So how you go into it. And, and we know that that's, that stuttering um, is a disorder and it's neurological. Uh, and we know it's exacerbated by being nervous. Um, a lot of people think that if you're just not nervous, you won't stutter, but it just, it, it's not quite the same. Um, so people re need to realize though that it, it is about rewiring your brain, I think in a very, very big way, which is why some of these just focusing on fluency tools all that does is make you sound who you're not. And mm -hmm. that doesn't really work so well, who you're not. As Joe Donahue would call turtle talk, you know, yeah. slow <laughs> talk and and that you never practice at home. Yeah, yeah. Um, and do, well, do you have people journal ever? Like journal their thoughts? Well, that's a really good idea. Some some people like writing. We We also do some picture drawing. So... It's called um, narrative therapy, and we can actually do this with adults too, but I bring it up only because I'm not sure that many people know about it. It's super effective, at least when we've used it here, but um, say I'm working with a kiddo and I just say, okay, so if your stuttering was in the room right now, what would it look like so that we can talk to it, you know? And normally I hand them a bunch of crayons and a paper and normally they stare at me like, I'm sorry, what do you want me to do? <laughs> yeah. And I say, okay, does it have eyes? And, and then normally they kind of, it flows from there. And it's amazing the differences in what people draw. So just the colors they use, you know, I had one kiddo who drew a unicorn and it was very bright colors, you know, and he's like, so half of it is my stutter and the other half is the part of me that doesn't stutter. Anyway, it was, it was like a very light and um, positive messaging. Yeah. And I had another kiddo who drew a very dark black with blood coming out of it and lots of weapons. And he named him, you know, like stutter death or something. He's like, I hate him. Um, so it really opened up these like emotional pathways for kiddos to kind of verify wow. how they feel with it either way. Um, and then what we do after that is we only refer to their stutter by that. It kind of externalizes it. So it's not you who stutters, mm. it's stutter man who comes around and, you know, how is it that he makes you stutter? Oh, he karate chops me in the throat. Like, oh, and, but you're stronger than stutter man. Cause you know, I don't hear you stutter all the time. So what is it that you're doing that defeats him? And I've had kiddos draw entire comic books out of it. And I've had, I think, five of them got published in the Stuttering Foundation of America has this great um, newsletter for kids. And they will post, they will publish your drawings. And we've had several of our kids, you know, draw their stutter and it got, and they feel so special, right? To see it in a magazine, you know, and everybody else who gets that magazine can see what they did. Um, or will draw pictures of their stutter and uh, throw water balloons on it from the top floor of the building. <laughs> Or we've got these great ping pong shooters where we'll sometimes draw a bunch of them and knock them all down or throw them in the garbage if they really feel like they need to have a fight with their stutter. Another kiddo told me, he's like, I I love him. I want to invite him over for s'mores. I'm like, great, let's have some <laughs> s'mores with your stutter. I, um, so anyway, huh. I, I, it's fun to see them evolve over time. Like a girl's went from a really evil Medusa to this really chill one snake on the hat, you know, wearing a, with a mustache sitting on the beach. <laughs> so. This idea of, of, of separating your stutter from yourself, um, it, it seems really, really powerful to me because when you don't, you don't separate it, when your stutter is who you are, it just, it, it just overwhelms you. And yeah. that's to say, when you can separate it, that your identity is not tied into it. Um, that's that's a powerful step, huh? Because mm -hmm. now I can look at it objectively, and um, I can deal with that that resistance as I go and give a presentation, and I can beat it actually, and not let it overwhelm me. Mm -hmm. um, what so what are we what are we teaching in UVM these days? Are are, are we teaching SLPs, avoidance reduction therapy? Are we teaching them open stuttering? How, how, and has there been resistance in programming in, 
in universities towards this? Um, well, we're, uh, because I'm at UVM and we have the avoidance reduction therapy group that actually brings in graduate students to help with the group. Mm -hmm. And we have our chapters of the National Stuttering Association. They meet, you know, at the school. Um, they could meet anywhere, but it just happens they were there. So we very much, and the National Stuttering Association groups are not therapy at all, but the avoidance reduction group is, is definitely therapy. Um, so, uh, and I teach a boot camp to the students when they come in just to learn about the clinic. And so I bring in some of those elements for that teaching and then they get their stuttering course in the spring with Dr. Kim Bowerly, who's a person who stutters herself and uh, they get similar messaging from her. Um, so at least here, but you're right, not every program has the advantage. Some programs, they combine the stuttering class with voice class. So it gets like mixed in and it's, it can be really intimidating for students to graduate because, you know, stuttering is multifaceted. There's a lot of counseling mm -hmm. and psychological components and mm -hmm. also um, supporting the whole family, right? Because parents are often coming in quite anxious too. And like how to kind of navigate that is, it's not as straightforward as like say doing working on an S sound or something like that. There's or a, a lot lisp, more. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, well, so on the, on this topic of parents, um, when, when the parents are coming in with their child to get some therapy, mm -hmm. they, they're coming in with a goal of, of fixing my child. Mm -hmm. um, what, what does that conversation sound like? Um, when they, I, I, I said on a recent podcast, I still remember the first time I heard that there's not really a cure for stuttering. You, you pretty, you, you can learn to control it. And I by and large have, it doesn't, I still, you know, like it doesn't dominate my world, but that's a hard message for a young person who stutters to hear and for a parent to hear. How does yeah. that conversation go? Yeah, so um, that you're right that that does happen a lot in terms of parents have really valid worries. You know, what is this going to mean in terms of what happens? Is my kiddo going to be able to ask somebody out to prom or get a job? They're they're forward thinking, um, and so I try and really validate that. Like, it sounds to me like you're a parent who really cares about how this goes for your child and you just want to help. And that's, that's really the best thing for them. Now you've come here, number one, so you are getting help. We're going to be able to work with you to find all the ways to make talking easier. And of course, you can never say that there's a cure, you know, or that to guarantee that somebody is not going to stutter as a result of your, your work together. Mm -hmm. It has, it has happened, um, but uh, mostly it's just validating. They they want to hear that their kiddo is going to get the best and individualized services that really help them do all the things that they want to do and to be. I mean, I do have a cognitive behavioral um, therapy uh, discussion that I have with parents. It works really well. You know, I ask them what what are their best hopes for their kiddo, and I get a big long list like. Um, I want them to be a great parent and a great friend and a great brother and to have whatever job they want and not to feel, you know, confined by anything and to just be a kind and loving person. And I have them kind of rate, where are they now? Like on a scale from one to 10, how many of those traits do they already have? And so they'll say, okay, he's only four years old, but so he's, he's about a five. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> but say more about, you know, what he already has. And then they give a big list of all the characteristics of their child. Like, oh, he's funny, he's independent, he's super smart and really creative. And we normally read that list back to the parent and say, what does that say about you as a parent? You know, mm. uh, um, and it kind of helps reframe that they've got a great kiddo on their hands, whether they stutter or not, whether they keep stuttering or not, they are like a well-equipped human being with many of the things that they're already, you know, wishing and hoping for. So 
it, you know, it, it's important to have a kind of a constant communication with families about that because that does change and the, you know they're it's legitimate what they're thinking is you know we, we want to validate that and so and so parents at home uh they're they're listening is, is there is there coaching that you offer for parents when um your son or daughter um is talking what what to do what not to do how you can help because the parents are literally are frustrated because they don't know how to help and all they want yeah. they just want help and i always say my number one goal is that my kids are happy Happiness is what matters. And are they happy? If they're if they're stuttering and they're happy, then we're happy. If they're stuttering and they're not happy, well, let's address what's not making them happy. Um, well, I'll say it again. They're very lucky to have you as a dad. <laughs> well, thank you. That's like yeah. 90% of it is just them. They know that with you, they have a safe space. Mm -hmm. You know, they know mm -hmm. that and they'll probably stutter more with you than anybody else because you're their safe space. Right. And what a gift that is that they know that they don't have to go through their whole day yeah. being aware of their speech, at least, or making changes. Um, but yeah, if your um, kiddo just started to stutter, you know, um, many kids start and then no longer stutter on their own that they don't need therapies that would be like 80 percent of kiddos will not mm -hmm. need therapy um but for those who do you know i the things that i watch out for are any negative reactions from the kiddo so like they really notice that they stutter and they you know when my niece started to stutter she blocked severely at christmas and just cried and put her head in the pillow and said you know daddy i can't say it and so that stood out to me, you know, Heartbreak, because heartbreaking, right? That's heartbreaking. Yeah, I, that definitely flung me from professional into personal real fast. <laughs> I yeah, was like, yeah. I was trying to, you know, outwardly stay calm for my brother and her, but also, you know, to respond in a way that was really supportive for her. Um, so I think I said something like, oh, that was a hard one, wasn't it, sweetie? You know, we're listening. Um, so I do uh -huh. say, uh, I, I normally like to talk about it with them to the degree that they're old enough to understand. They know that something's wrong and because they're so young, they don't necessarily have the words. So I go ahead and say, you know, sometimes people get stuck on their words and that's okay. You know, we'll we'll be patient, listen to you. And it sounded like you were gonna say this. Um, so encouraging them to say the word, even if they get stuck. Um, so we talk a lot about Mr. Rogers. I mean, I grew up in Pittsburgh, so I know Mr. Rogers. I know the young kids these days maybe don't, but, you know, he had this beautiful uh, pausing and kind of a slower rate. You don't have to talk like Mr. Rogers, but to kind of be aware that giving that extra breathing room for kiddos is really helpful, right. like especially the pause. It's your time. Take your time. Whatever time, right? It's your yeah, time. without even having to tell them, you know, they just feel it off of you. Like you're looking at them, yep. you're giving them full attention. That's not always possible, but, um, and what you said before, like listening to what they're saying instead of how, you know, like keeping your face nice and neutral. And if they told you a great story and stuttered the whole way through, comment on the last thing that they said that was really interesting to you. You know, that was really funny mm. or you're such a good storyteller. <laughs> You know, letting them finish on their own, making sure that their siblings aren't talking for them, you know, all of that. Those would be like good indirect ways to help them. There are more direct therapies, but you you definitely want to be talking to a speech pathologist about that. Um, yeah. So um, you work with any any older kids as well? Yes, all ages at our clinic. So yeah. so. What what do you want to tell the the eighth grader? I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little springboard here mm -hmm. and talk about uh, the the ceilings in um, that occur in a person who stutters and uh, like the overwhelming sense of dread and fear uh, about um, starting a high school uh, like I did where you don't know anybody mm -hmm. uh, but my brother my twin brother and I went mm -hmm. to a, a whole new Catholic high school. Um, this is sort of one of the most sort of uh, trauma experiences that I had. Most people oh. who stutter have trauma of sorts, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. you're starting in 
everybody else in, in this high school came from three other Catholic grade schools that sort of funneled into this high school, except we came from a public school because my parents wanted us to go, you know, to this Catholic educational institution. That was really tough. Um, I, I won't go through to, you know, what made it tough, but there were yeah. tough experiences, let me tell you. It got better by the third and fourth year, of course. But what do you want to tell the eighth grader how to put their stutter in perspective? That's a yeah. big ask, big ask. Well, I'm so glad your brother was there, though, because um, then you weren't alone. So that was going to be my first piece of advice is know that you're not alone and like right. find find that support group. You know, some of these kiddos are on sports teams and um, they have really good friends. I, I normally ask them, like, who is in your box already? Like, who are your ride or die people that you would stutter in front of? now and like who's just outside that box that you might be willing to let in because the, yeah. the more people that you let in and talk about openly with that that just only helps um so we often connect people i would say try and go to find other teens who stutter now of all of our groups so we've got kids teens parents and adults the teen group is the one where the fewest number of people come that is the hardest and it makes total sense when i was a teenager like get away from me i don't want to be different this is annoying and and like i'm not an easy sell for people because i'm this like middle-aged woman who doesn't stutter. <laughs> so <laughs> so i always try and find like the cool med student who is hip and fun who stutters and i like okay come on over to group because you know we would love to bring in more people that are comfortable there or i'll have them reach out before a group and have them talk to them you know so but i can't say enough for that connection piece and the mentors um and we will um zoom people in from all over the country if you don't have a support group near you just talk to me and I'll figure out how to get you in there because we want you here. Um, but I guess I just don't want them to feel like they need to rearrange their life or what they want to do or be because of the stuttering. I would I would nice. do everything that you wanted. Like nice. parents that ask me, should I hold them back from kindergarten? Heck no, this is a smart kid. Like get him out there. Like, you know, yes. do it. That's great. Um, yeah, and if you're confident, they will respond in kind, right? right? I think that there's a Joe, Joe Donahue says something about um, they react the way that you react. Is yeah, that yeah. People, people react to you, to your stutter, the way you, you react to your stutter. And mm -hmm. uh, so let's, let's normalize the reaction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're not ready for all of that, you can, for lack of a better word, like stock people on Instagram who are, there's a lot of people who stutter openly and are really out about it. You know, like that's, that's the deal. We all, it, it, we all, but when we're young, we all feel like we're the only one. We're just so alone. And mm -hmm. so that's, this is about forming a community. So we don't feel so alone and then we can start to work on our, ourselves. I want to take you now to the, to, to the moment between high school and thinking about college what do you want to say to the high school senior who's like, I can't go to college because I can't handle it for all the reasons that the stuttering lens provides you with not to do it? What do you tell yeah. that that young person? Well, if they were working with me in therapy, we would talk a lot about advocacy and self-advocating, you know, at every school. So at UVM, we have this as well. There is a whole department that is there to help make really difficult transitions like that. And how they're probably wondering, like, should I disclose to my teachers that mm -hmm. I stutter? What if I'm in a class that it's a ton of presentations? Like, uh you know, there are ways to approach that where you still participate fully, but you're, you know, you might have some accommodations that are built in, which you have the right to, to have. Um, so I guess I just want to keep doubling down. It would be heartbreaking if people change their life goals because of that. And that's part of the whole normalizing stuttering. Like, like, thank you. <laughs> yeah. You want that vanilla ice cream? You order that vanilla ice cream, right? <laughs> you deserve to eat. You deserve to get the degree that you want. You deserve all of it. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And some of that 
confidence building is is key. And I think starting with avoidance reduction therapy when they're in high school uh, or younger, so that it it's just part of life. Um, and then, do you ever deal with with recent college graduates who are thinking about career and uh, dreading an a, a interview? Uh, so therefore, they'll choose something that is maybe the road that is easier instead of the road that they were meant to be on? Yeah, I, I have had people track themselves into a career where they would work in isolation, you know, like maybe in a warehouse or in a right. as a truck driver, something that requires less communication. But, uh, you know, same thing that I just said, I would encourage people to go ahead and get out there and do you know, whatever their life's wishes can happen. There's, there's sometimes I think Vivian uh, Siskin calls it like the giant in chains. You have this imagined that uh, if only I could shed my fluency problems, I would walk down the street, you know, talk to every single person, become the head of four companies and things like that. It's like, so you can shed those shackles and still stutter. Nice. <laughs> Yeah. So, people don't anyway. think so, though. People people don't yeah. think so. But it's only it's only when you you tell people you stutter that you realize that it, it's not the obstacle you once thought it was. Yeah. Um, there's a really good book that I've that I've read recently, and I'm actually doing a book club on by Brian Holiday called "The Obstacle Is the Way." Um, I don't know if you know that book, mm, but the obstacle no. is the way, and mm. um, it, this is it. It pertains to a person who stutters completely. The very obstacle uh, is the only way. The only way out is through it. And um, you learn so, obstacles teach us so much. Problems teach us so much um, that uh, so I it, it gives you just a whole new um, so, uh, sort of perspective on obstacles and problems and challenges that, in fact, make us better. And something nothing is either bad or good. It's just our thinking that makes it so. <laughs> uh, and our yeah. thinking is often what what takes us down this, this negative spiral. Yeah. Um, well, you know, you and I could, could, could go on for hours and hours. I and, know. Uh, I love talking to you, Brian. This is well, fun. likewise, I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful for um, the fact that you exist. <laughs> and and uh, uh, can you, can you point people towards your, your normalizing stuttering store? Sure. So it's just vermontstutteringtherapy.com. And so that's Vermont written out all lowercase. Uh, we have a Shopify store, so that will take you there. And we also are on Etsy. So VT Stuttering Therapy. Yeah. Uh, there. Yeah. Yeah. And I've managed to figure out Instagram and the TikTok, even though I uh, had to learn how to do both of those. I am there. <laughs> so you can find <laughs> me there too at VT Stuttering Therapy. Yeah. Well, Dan, uh, uh, on behalf of, of the Noel Stuttering Foundation and the several million people who stutter, we, we appreciate you and, and, and thank you for spending this time with us. Um, I, I hope to uh, come up and visit your uh, clinic someday. I hope uh, to have you as a guest in one of our, one of our in-person springboards that we do. Oh, I'd love that. My family's in Philadelphia, so I can come right down. <laughs> oh, wow. That would be good. Whereabouts in Philly? isn't it uh near in the museum district so oh, it's a beautiful area mm -hmm. yeah beautiful area mm -hmm. uh, thanks again and uh appreciate it thank you brian go team stuttering go and <laughs> as we say uh go out and uh be bold and be brave thanks so much nolan stuttering foundations for nsf's primary purpose is to bring young people who stutter together and help them become the best versions of themselves. We do this through programming design to help them share and navigate the unique communication and psychological challenge they experience. NSF helps prepare young people to take the next step in their lives, whether it's high school college or, or, or your, your career for ideas and, and contributions to the podcast contact us at info at 
nolansf.org.